0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for pan-African news and world developments. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight...
1: Nurenda was studying in nuclear engineering at the Moscow Engineering Physics Institute before his
0: conviction. That's Cathy Short reporting on the death of a Zambian student in Ukraine. Details coming up also. An emergency is declared after deadly attacks in Darfur. And African Union President Maki Sall meets with world leaders at the G20 summit. These stories and more on African News tonight. But first, our top story. The COP27 Summit on Climate Change continues this week in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. VOA correspondent Heather Murdoch is at the conference, and she spoke with me a short time ago to update us on the discussions. Heather, welcome to Africa News Tonight.
2: Hello, thank you.
0: So there's a new proposal for financial support for nations battered by climate disasters. It has been presented. Can you give us a few details on that?
2: Well, the, the new proposal that has received support from several European countries and the West um, is called the Global Shield for Climate Risk. And so far, about $200 million has been pledged to this fund. And the idea is, it's essentially an insurance fund, and the idea is that this fund is intended to get money to the most hardest hit disaster areas, after or even before a climate change related disaster in vulnerable communities. and the idea is we get that money quick. And this is something that is greatly lacking. However, this plan also has its critics. Uh, first of all, it's not nearly enough. Back in 2009, the number that was identified as to how much money was needed to cover, to help developing countries with climate change disasters was $100 billion, which is way more than $200 million that they're talking about now. And the other question is that because it's an insurance scheme, Some people wonder if that will be problematic because, as we know, the areas that are the most vulnerable are also the most volatile and the most difficult to be covered by traditional or even innovative insurance.
0: Also, uh, one of the themes of today's session was water. What are some of the issues there?
2: Water, as you know, is a huge issue that is related to every other climate change issue. So, I mean, just the basic conversation about global warming, which is the main uh, thrust of this climate change conference, is that the level of the seas will rise, and cities and towns and even even island nations will disappear. Um, but water is related to every aspect, either too much water can cause disasters, such as floods. This year we've seen unprecedented floods um, in Nigeria and Pakistan and other countries that have killed more than 2,300 people in Nigeria and Pakistan alone. Um, And then in other places, there's not nearly enough water. There are droughts, uh, the worst drought in 40 years in the Horn of Africa. And people in Somalia are already dying from hunger because there is not enough food, because there is not enough water. And this drought's not limited to Africa. There's also drought to the Middle East and in other continents. I mean, I've talked to farmers that say they're experiencing the worst drought there in Syria in 70 years. And Iraqis that are fleeing their homes because their marshlands are drying up and the farmland is no longer viable. And families in Libya that can no longer irrigate their farms, moving to cities and towns because they can't live where they're their, their from anymore. So this issue of water impacts People's lives all over the globe, and is at the very heart of the climate change issue.
0: Water, a blessing and a curse. Uh, another theme was gender. What were some of the discussions on that topic?
2: Uh, this is interesting. That today was um, of the themes today, water and gender. The gender was one of the themes for the climate conference today, and for you know, for most of history, large decisions, international conferences, and. Uh, important high-level discussions are usually taken place by done by men and one of the things that was on the table today to discuss was not just that women are important but that women should be included more and that women should have their voices heard in high-level discussions on a regular basis and one of the reasons why this is important is because they have found that women are disproportionately impacted by climate change so one of the topics on the table today was african women and if you're talking about rural women in general and women uh in rural africa specifically you find that it, they're disproportionately impacted by climate change in to an extreme level because they're disproportionately working in fields like agriculture that are impacted by the environment um, another example which seems small but it's huge in so many millions of women's and girls lives is is water for the family. Usually in rural areas, in Africa and other places, when the family needs to travel, like an individual in the family needs to go someplace to collect water, clean water for the family to drink, it's usually women and girls that do it. So when an area dries up or a well dries up and somebody has to miss other parts of their life, specifically schools for young people, It's usually the the females that have to travel sometimes for hours every single day just to get enough water for their families to drink. Um, And this leads to so many other outcomes, the most obvious being the lack of education for rural girls because of this.
0: VOA's Heather Murdoch, thank you for your input.
2: Thank you so much.
0: The world's three largest rainforest nations, Brazil, Democratic Republic of Congo, and Indonesia, today formally launched a partnership to cooperate on forest preservation. Reuters' new service reports that representatives of the three countries, which holds of the world's tropical rainforest signed the joint statement at talks in Indonesia ahead of the meeting of the Group of 20 Industrialized Nations, which begins tomorrow. The G20 talks coincide with the second and final week of the COP27 United Nations Climate Summit in Egypt. At COP27, Brazil's presidential environmental advisor, Isabella Texiera, said Brazil would seek to get the involvement of other countries in the Amazon basin which spans nine nations. Thousands of climate activists are also at Sharm al-Sheikh for COP27. Patricia Kumbo, a young Kenyan, is among them. She has been named a land hero by the UN Convention to Combat desertification for her efforts to protect land against the effects of climate change, especially in Africa. VOA's Carol Van Dam asked Combo with uh, what action she wants to see taken from the biggest polluters, including China and the U.S., at the end of COP27.
3: What I'm looking for this conference is to have solutions and, you know, negotiations that are tailored towards financing nature-positive solutions because from where I sit, I understand that nature is able to deliver some of this crisis. And when I'm talking about nature... I'm referring to land because the land is the link between biodiversity, ecosystem, and also the link to climate crisis. So I'm looking at a conference that will give land a key priority that will address land with all the importance that land has to us, and especially for communities that experience in drought because we know from the land, we are fed from the land, all our basic needs are catered for. And especially it's been an African curve and it happening in Africa where at a time when land degradation is at high, desertification and drought is very, very high. I'm seeing and looking and hoping that land will be given a priority and that land will actually be recognized as one of the tools that needs a lot of resilience because from the land, there's prosperity,
2: there's livelihood, there's
3: peace. And there's resilience.
2: How do you see that working out those specifics, you know, if they were to write something in a document and saying we agree to this, some of the um, more developed countries that are the biggest polluters, what do you want them to do?
3: Uh, first of all, we are looking at some commitment and last time it was committed, they committed, the world leaders committed to restore 1 billion hectares. shares and I'm looking at the commitment of restoring one billion hectares, not from the the negotiation or not from the from the in the document, but actually implementing it, whereby every country will take ambitions to ensure this is implemented. Countries actually commit and ensure the NDCs, their nationally determined contributors, are well actually implemented on ground, and ensuring that they we join hands to incorporate the certification with, which is very, very huge in Africa. Today is Gender Day at COP27. What is that all about? Oh, yeah. Gender Day is one of themes that I was, I'm passionate, or rather I was key to attend during the conference because gender speaks to me. And today I can say I was disappointed. Even when you saw the world leaders, there were photos going around. And you saw the gender gap was missing. And also looking at the negotiators, you find three quarters of negotiators, you know, are male. Um, they uh, yeah, are they are the male dominant. But to me, gender justice is climate justice because without gender justice, we will all live in crisis. Because ever since time immemorial, women have cultivated. They have catered for the land. They have nurtured it because land is their identity.
0: That was Patricia Combo, a youth activist attending COP27. She was speaking with VOA's Carol Van Dam from Sharm El Sheikh, Egypt. (music) Zambia is seeking answers from Russia after a Zambian student who was serving a prison sentence in Russia ended up dying at the battlefront in Ukraine. Kathy Short reports from Lusaka, Zambia.
1: 23-year-old Nathan Lemekani Nurenda was serving a nine-year prison sentence in Russia after being convicted of drug possession in 2020. But Zambia's foreign minister, Stanley Kakubo, at a Monday news conference said the government was informed on November 9 that Nurenda had died at the battlefront in Ukraine. The Zambian
0: government
4: has requested the Russian authorities to urgently provide information on the circumstances under which a Zambian citizen serving a prison. Sentence in Moscow would have been recruited, fight in Ukraine, and subsequently lose his life.
1: Zambia's foreign ministry says it learned that Nurenda died on September 22nd in Ukraine and that his remains were taken to the Russian border town of Rostov to be sent back to Zambia. Kakubo, who said he visited Nurenda's family, said will communicate more details once the Russian authorities provide more information on the circumstances of his death. Nurenda was studying nuclear engineering at the Moscow Engineering Physics Institute before his conviction. As Russian has struggled in its war against Ukraine, reports from Russia indicate authorities have been recruiting troops from prisons. One video circulated in September on social media showed President Vladimir Putin's ally, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who runs the controversial Wagner group of mercenaries. In the video, Prigozhin tells a large group of prisoners that their sentences would be commuted if they fight for Russia in Ukraine. Kathy Short, for VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia.
0: Senegalese President Macky Sall is expected to meet with the President of China Xi Jinping this week on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia. SAL is attending the summit as the head of the African Union. The summit opens tomorrow and runs through Wednesday. Among other topics at the G20, SAL is expected to discuss the issue of aid for Senegal and other developing nations as they battle climate disasters. Yesterday, a spokesman for South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa said his government will push to create a permanent seat at the G20 for the African Union. South Africa is the only G20 member from the African continent. The G20 group, 19 major groups, 19 major economies, plus the European Union to coordinate on economic and financial developments. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyus Wuhib in Washington. Sudan's central Darfur state has declared a state of emergency after gunmen opened fire on mediators tasked with settling an intercommunal dispute, killing 24 people. Michael Atit reports from the Sudanese capital Khartoum.
5: After an emergency meeting of the State Security Committee on Sunday night, Central Darfur Governor Saad Adam Babikir issued an order declaring a state of emergency in all parts of Central Darfur for a period of one month. The decision came after gunmen attacked a reconciliation committee sent to mediate a dispute between the rival Wadisale and Bandasi communities according to locals the mediators were accused of favoring one side sparking anger from the other side the governor said the attack on wedalmahi locality killed at least 24 people and left 41 others wounded in the order governor Babikir stressed the need to preserve the security of the state and the safety of citizens it banned all forms of gatherings in the two localities last week the governor of Blue Nile State, Ahmed Alomda Badi, issued an emergency order also banning all public gatherings, events, and unlicensed activities. Intercommunal conflicts have been on the rise in Sudan since the military coup in October 2021. Pro-democracy protesters have kept up demands for the military to step aside and establish a civilian-led transitional government in the country. Mediation efforts by the UN and the African Union have yet to bear fruit. Michael Latit for VOA News, Khartoum, Sudan.
0: In Cameroon, health workers and diabetics are marching on World Diabetes Day November 14th today to protest insecurity that is being blamed for a jump in deaths among diabetic patients. Health workers say Cameroon's separatist conflict and terrorism near the borders with Chad and Nigeria are preventing 70% of patients from being treated. Mokedwin Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé Cameroon. Scores of diabetics and
4: hospital workers braved a heavy downpour in Cameroon's capital, Yaounde, on Monday to march against what they call abuse of diabetes patients' rights. The protesters say Cameroon's separatist conflict and Islamist militants on the borders with Chad and Nigeria are preventing diabetics from getting life-saving treatments. Forty-five-year-old fish seller Pierre-Marie Longsi is among the protesters. He says many patients are dying of stress and lack of medication. Longsi says patients should not be restricted from going to hospitals in areas where there are conflicts and hospitals should not be targeted by armed men. The government says Boko Haram militants in northern Cameroon and separatists in the country's west often attack hospitals and abduct health care workers. The latest, on November 4 saw nine health workers abducted in the town of Batibu in Cameroon's northwest region. Authorities blame separatists who denied responsibility. Cameroon says many health workers have fled the fighting which also makes delivery of hospital equipment and medication difficult. During a program on State Radio Monday, health officials said the number of people who died of diabetes in the region's hospitals jumped from 260 last year to nearly 400 so far this year. But speaking on CRTV Radio, the officials said most deaths occurred out of hospitals and went unreported. The officials said most diabetes patients arrive at hospitals at critical stages because fighting and insecurity prevented them from getting needed treatments. Sinti Ngek is a medical staff member at Cameroon Baptist Convention Health Services who took part in the protest. He says most diabetic patients in the conflict areas cannot afford basic treatments such as insulin to manage their blood sugar. Very few patients can afford doing basic blood glucose monitoring. There are very few facilities that have readily available drugs to meet this patients. we the ongoing conflict, the quality of living has reduced, the cost of living has actually increased. And so people would want to fend more for their food than buy insulin or medications. Cameroon's Ministry of Public Health said similar world Diabetes Day events took place near the northern border with Chad and Nigeria and in the English-speaking western regions. Anglophone separatists in Cameroon's western regions have since 2017 been fighting to break away from the French-speaking majority, citing second-class treatment. Cameroon's National Diabetes and Hypertension Programme says about 9% of adults in urban areas live with diabetes, up from 6% in 2021. The program says 80% of patients are undiagnosed and only a quarter of people with known diabetes have adequate control of their blood sugar. Cameroon's government blamed lack of physical exercise made worse by the COVID 19 pandemic's isolation measures for increasing cases of diabetes. Moki Edwin Kinzuka for VOA News, Yaounde, Cameroon.
0: The U.S. government has announced a reward of up to $10 million for information that helps find three leaders of Somali terrorist group Al-Shabaab who are wanted for attacks that killed thousands of people in East Africa. Mohamed Yasuf reports from Nairobi, Kenya.
6: The U.S. government is asking the citizens of Somalia and the region to help trace Al-Shabaab leaders Ahmed Diriyah, Mahat Karate and Jihad Mustafa, The three are accused of playing roles in several deadly terrorist attacks in Somalia and Kenya. U.S. Ambassador to Somalia Larry Andre, speaking in Nairobi Monday, said the new $10 million reward, double from the previous offer, will complement the Somali government's effort to defeat the al-Qaeda-affiliated terrorist group.
0: Today we announced the doubling of the reward offers for information leading to the capture of those leading al-Shabaab. We also announce a new program aimed at disrupting al-Shabaab's financial networks. Let me stress that this is in support of the announced strategy of the Somali government. So the Somali government's strategy is to contest the false religious ideology, to go after the finances, and to confront on the battlefield to liberate Somali communities.
6: Somali government troops and local militias are involved in a military offensive aimed at driving al-Shabaab out of dozens of villages and towns in central Somalia. U.S. officials said arresting the al-Shabaab leaders would disrupt the group's operations and safeguard the region's peace and prosperity. According to U.S. authorities, Ahmed Dirieh, also known as Abu Ubaida, is al-Shabaab's top leader. He was seen in a video meeting fighters who carried out attacks at a U.S. military camp in Lamu County, Kenya in 2020. Mahad Karate is the group's deputy leader and has at least partial command over the Aminiyat, Al-Shabaab's security and intelligence wing. Also on the list is Jihad Mustafa, a military instructor and the leader of the foreign fighters in Somalia. Mustafa, a former resident of San Diego, California, functions as intermediary between Al-Shabaab and other terrorist organizations. The deputy chief of mission at the U.S. embassy in Kenya, Mark Dillard, said that the reward covers information about illegal financial activities and
1: businesses. To further demonstrate our resolve to disrupt and dismantle Al-Shabaab's network, the United States, with the support of our Kenyan and regional partners, the United States is offering reward money for information that would lead to the identification and disruption of al-Shabaab's revenue sources and funding streams. This includes information on al-Shabaab's exploitation of local natural resources, on financial donors and facilitators, and on financial transactions.
6: Monday's announcement marks the first time the U.S. State Department's Rewards for Justice program has offered money for information on al-Shabaab's financial networks Mohamed Yusuf for VOA News, Nairobi.
0: And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbili Baro and our engineer, Charleston Mok, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.